The following is a hoop ball presentation. Hello, hoop ball world. And welcome to a very special episode of Jared and Jared's Supermax Show, a salary cap fantasy basketball podcast. I almost screwed up that title, and I'm coming to you live from my girlfriend's noisy apartment in Harlem. I have a, a unicorn, someone I didn't know existed. I had been living in my own little bubble with my own set of friends for more than a decade doing salary cap leagues, which are not auction draft leagues. Those are different. And I finally found someone who runs a Discord with thousands of other like-minded individuals. Please introduce us to you, Matt Lawson. Jared, this is so exciting. I can tell you right now, when I stumbled across a podcast about my favorite fantasy basketball format, Salary Leagues with real-life NBA salaries, uh, I felt like a kid on Christmas. It was incredible. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed the podcast. Um, as you said, um, I I am a host of a number of leagues uh, with people who absolutely love this format, uh, specifically doing it in a dynasty format. So not only do you have to deal with the real-life salaries of your players this year, you have to deal with what their real-life salaries might become in future years. Uh, so we're dealing with some real uh, three-dimensional chess here. Uh, but you can find me at, at NBA Dynasty ADP on Twitter. Um, I've got some new data uh, for real salary leagues uh, that I think everyone will enjoy. If you listen to this podcast, if you like real salary leagues and uh, participating in leagues with real life NBA salaries, or you want to look at any of my other rankings, uh, it's all up there on my Twitter profile. Uh, and the latest thing that we have is salary data from six recent salary drafts just in the last month these leagues drafted. So this is a great idea of what the market value is for all these different players uh, when it comes to real life salary leagues in fantasy basketball. That is so hardcore and awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm nerding out because I had just been kind of putting together my own internal data and updating my own sheet. And I find that there are automatically updating spreadsheets with the salaries for future years. I found that there's other people who I could be talking to who are complete strangers who I might become best friends with. Uh, this is all blowing my mind. Um, I even have a formula that like does like salary to fantasy point, like points per million. I got to share that with you off pod, but let's dive in because I am, I'm stoked. I'm so glad we got you on as a plane is going over. I told you it was a noisy apartment um, in New York city. Uh, but you have, a fantasy basketball international real salary dynasty ADP based on six drafts concluding on October 19th. Tell us about this because I am fascinated by this list. So Fantasy Basketball International is our community. It's uh, hosted on Discord. So it's a big Discord server. We have over a thousand members. And right now we're hosting um, around 50 Dynasty League chats on there. So 50 different leagues, um, all the people in different Dynasty Leagues of all different formats. And then on top of that, um, we have this year dozens and dozens of redraft leagues. So just your season-long leagues, you draft it, you play out the season, and then you move on, um, including our world 
World Cup, which is a gigantic tournament with 192 different teams all competing across different 12 team divisions. And then the winners of those divisions coming to face each other at the very end with some incredible prizes on the line, um, all hosted by fan tracks. So there's some really exciting stuff going on over there. But one of those exciting things is that we had a bunch of new dynasty leagues this year. And some of those dynasty leagues were of the real life salary format or real salary, as I like to call it. So this average draft position data uh, that you can find on my Twitter profile at NBA Dynasty ADP is a collection of information from those leagues, taking exactly what the average was across the six different drafts of where each player went. And immediately when you look at this, some things are just going to make your eyes pop out. Even if you're familiar with dynasty leagues in general, leagues where you keep the players year over year on your roster, uh, as long as you can afford them in these salary leagues. And not, usually young players go early in dynasty. That's normal. Everyone is thinking, okay, well, I'm going to be you know, in this league for years to come. So I want to make sure that I get young players who aren't going to be retiring anytime soon. I can get their whole prime. But in salary leagues, you have that 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 uh, independent value of youth and you also have the fact that young players are locked into rookie scale contracts or they go into restricted free agency and they make less money so naturally they're going to make less money than those older veterans so you see the value push way up for these young players they suddenly become the most valuable players in the league and when you look at this data the first thing that's going to jump out to you is that our guy lamello ball second year in the league came out number three in this average draft position data. That tells you immediately that a player who's making only seven figures instead of eight is going to have tremendous value in a league like this, especially when they're already producing at a young age. So that's just a little preview of kind of what we have going on in this data, data here. Uh, so my league is redraft. We start from scratch every season and we do our, since we all know each other, we usually do it over a Facebook group. Um, but if we're going to expand, we might as well, join this discord. That sounds like a good idea um, just to get more people involved because it is more work than usual and uh, people can kind of get burnt out on it. But we just, we had our draft like a week ago and some of the names that are popping up on this list make sense for being like a first round guy. Now, obviously drafts are over. The season has started, but Doncic number one with a bullet that we, our league agreed Jokic top three choice. Perfect. Lamella Ball, first rounder for sure. Trey Young, Zion. These are even Giannis. I mean, these all make sense. Uh, Shea, those, those guys were making not a lot of money, and they're some of the best fantasy assets, regardless of format. There were a few names that that stood out, and I wanted to get your take on that because Evan Mobley did not get drafted in our league, and I, he was like the first waiver wire pickup. I was like, why did no one take him? Like, I didn't have enough money. But I was like, someone should pick up Evan Mobley. And then Evan Mobley showed out in his first game. Um, he's number 14 on this list. My goodness. So that immediately stands out in the difference in a dynasty format. But I think even in a redraft format, Evan Mobley has a ton of value in salary leagues this year because, you know, he was the number two pick, which locks him into a salary that's high for a rookie. But it's still considerably lower than a lot of top 100 players. And I think there's a very good chance, especially based on what we saw last night from Evan Mobley in the Cavs opener, that he's going to play huge minutes this year, accumulate a ton of big man stats. And, and you know, especially in points formats and or in categories, 
categories formats, big men have a ton of value. Yep. Um, and he's going to be able to accumulate those stats across huge minutes for what is not going to be a very good Cavs team this year. So I love Mobley in salary formats. And the, the, the other factor here they have to consider is that when you're getting these rookies, you're getting them for four years on that rookie contract. So Evan Mobley is not going to be making large, a large salary until four, after four years from now when he gets onto his second contract. And even that will be limited by the way that the NBA requires second contracts to be structured, which the players can't get the supermax deals that you see the John Walls and Chris Pauls of the world on. They're stuck on something less than that, which puts you into a range right now, which is in the low $30 million um, as a starting salary in the first year, depending on how it's structured, which is still a significant discount compared to some of the more pricey veterans. I think what scared us off was Jarrett Allen, who had a monster game, and Laurie Marketing. Um, and who else is is uh, like competing for minutes uh, on on that team? I'm trying to think because they got rid of um, Larry Nance Jr. Well, you still have Kevin Love. The, the Kevin Love. That, Kevin Love is still hanging around. See, uh, I almost forgot about him because he barely plays and he doesn't really want to be there. Um, that's what scared a lot of people off. And I was, I think later in my draft, I was deciding between him and uh, Devontae Graham because I had like 10 plus million left. And that was really like my last kind of big quote unquote purchase. And I went with Devontae Graham on a new team knowing that Zion was going to be hurt. But boy, do I regret not going with Mobley now. Um, even in a redraft league, he, he just looks like he is that dude and it's funny on this adp list he is above jalen green the number two pick who i went with i took him in my league and did not have a great game that kind of soured me a little but i'm i'm still holding strong that jalen green will become the i think he's the most common rookie of the year candidate choice from everyone who picks rookie of the year candidates I think with Jalen Green, yeah, patience is definitely in order. And you, the arc of his season could look very similar to what we saw from Anthony Edwards last year, where early on, you know, Edwards had a lot of really inefficient games. The shots were going up, but they weren't always going in. Um, and then you saw that click in the second half where he kind of figured out the speed of the NBA game and how he could use his uh, size and strength to be able to get to the basket pretty much at will and also just started shooting better. Um, I think Green is going to have some really big games as the year goes on. I I think the big question with him is what other stats are going to come into play other than scoring? Um, you know, does he have some playmaking ability? Is he going to be able to rack up some assists? It, like Edwards, will he be able to develop uh, an ability to be able to get some steals, which was really the surprise with Anthony Edwards last year. Great steals numbers. And that really shot him up in a lot of fantasy projections uh, because the question coming into, into the NBA, like it is with Green, was is this guy just a score? And is he just a volume inefficient score? Uh, in a points format, that doesn't matter as much. These are the categories leagues that we're looking at in this data. So there is going to be a little bit more of a concern. You know, is a guy going to tank my field goal percentage? Can he shoot free throws very well? Um, and those considerations go out the window a little bit in, in most points league formats, depending on how the scoring works. But I still think there's a lot of reason for optimism with Jalen Green this year. Uh, I kind of have to view everything in my in my small peanut brain through the lens of my draft that ended compared to this list because it, it Sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, but then looking at like who some people in my league who will go unnamed picked, uh, LaMelo Ball, Shea, Michael Porter Jr., and Sabonis were all first rounders, which makes sense looking at this list. But Kevin Porter Jr. went in the first round, and that was a contentious, controversial pick. He did not have a great game. And then I'm looking at these second round players Anthony Edwards, John Morant, uh, Mitchell Robinson, uh, you know, Jalen Green, like, 
those are the kind of guys who are young and you really hope that they're going to just like take off. Um, and then, and then, and then the third, it was Jalen Suggs, Nikhil Alexander Walker, um, Colin Sexton, Robert Williams, the third. So yeah, just, just young people up and down this draft constantly fourth rounders. I'm looking at Keldon Johnson, Isaiah Stewart, Tyrese Halliburton, Jason Tate, PJ Washington, Patrick Williams, RJ Barrett, DeAndre, and all young dudes. Um, you know, who's not young. James Harden, he's number 18 on this ADP. He went really late in my draft because no one wants to pay James Harden 40-something gazillion dollars. Um, that is so interesting that he he's in a dynasty draft. He's still that valuable. So this is one of the big differences that I think a lot of people do not realize about points formats versus categories formats. And I don't think this gets discussed enough in analysis that you hear about fantasy basketball often enough. In a points format, the difference between the elite players, the top five guys, and the pretty good guys, you know, kind of the guys in the top 40, top 25, is not that large. In fact, it's maybe, you know, less than 10% between difference between, you know, someone like Joel Embiid, who in a points format was a top five player last year. And then you go down to Demonis Sabonis. And the difference between those two might only have been 10% per game in production, you know, when you when you look at it. In categories leagues, Embiid could have been two or three times more valuable per game. And Harden as well, two or three more times valuable per game than a top five player or excuse me, than a top 25 player. The the difference is dramatic when you get into categories format in the difference in elite players. So in Harden's best seasons, he has been, in some cases, three times more valuable than guys who are like in the top 30 or so. So having a player like that is such an immense value compared to a points league. So you're going to see someone like Harden push up despite that large salary. The other consideration here is, and I can hear it in the strategy for your league, and it makes sense, depending on the league size, it really matters um, where some of these players are going to go. Because if you are in a, a smaller league, um, you know, 12 team, 10 team league, and you're doing salary format, you are going to get in a situation where taking those big salaries is going to completely sink you as a strategy. You're going to have no ability to be able to recover because if everyone else gets on a run of taking uh, the cheap players early, the way that your league did, oh, by yeah. the time you get later on, they're will be no cheap guys to fill in the back end of your roster that are valuable. And everyone else is just going to be picking off those expensive contracts later on, or at least mid-level ones that still have some value and, and some fantasy production. And you're going to have used all of your money early on. So it's a strategic difference. And that's why I love these leagues, because it adds this whole another layer of complexity. If you're drafting in a vanilla fantasy basketball league, you're just thinking, okay, who's going to be the most valuable guy this year? But to actually have to add this extra layer of saying, okay, well, I need to find value in their fantasy production, but I also need to make sure that it comes at the right cost. And I need to be able to put this puzzle together during this draft to make sure that I fit under this cap while also putting together the best possible team. I, you know, and, and we'll just pat ourselves on the back. We're smarter than all the other fantasy basketball players because we're this playing in true. this format. That, this and that's the reality of it. Yeah. I think the hardest thing I've, I've come to realize doing this podcast, um, even though we're only seven episodes in, it is really hard to uh, talk about a lot of players who are worth drafting or worth dropping or worth picking up and giving advice because there's points versus category, head-to-head versus Roto, um, dynasty versus not dynasty, real salaries versus not auction draft. It is like impossible to like come up with like a good ADP for like just like a like fantasy football where everyone's just like, yeah, either it's PPR or it's not, but generally you're just, everyone knows what they're doing. 
And um, there really isn't too much difference. But with basketball, it's like so splintered. Um, like Anthony Davis on this list is 21 on this ADP list I'm looking at that you put together, which by again, thank you. I don't think he went in our draft. He was undrafted. He's on the waiver wire right now. And no one's willing to pay that salary. Um, it's a 10-team league. No one's willing to pay it. And he put up a great stat line. And I'm just kind of looking at going like, boy, should I like play with, with my money and like drop Beal? And like, should I break up that money and, and upgrade my roster in other parts? It's just like so many weird, complicated uh, questions to ask. Um, there really is no answer. And that's what is the most fascinating thing to me about these types of leagues. Well, and, and that's that's another component when you're looking at this ADP. Most of the leagues that are on here are 30-team leagues. So these are people who are playing in a league that simulates closely the real NBA. They are drafting a team that is you know between 12 and 15 players, similar to an NBA roster, and they're doing it against 29 other managers. So you are essentially playing like an NBA GM and having to put together a team with the full NBA player pool. Some of these drafts went to 450 players selected. So you're getting into two-way contract players. You're getting even to some guys who aren't on NBA rosters that people are hoping are gonna be able to catch on. So that makes a huge difference because when you're waiting that long between your picks and when you're gonna be getting that deep into the the player pool, having Anthony Davis on your roster, even at that salary, if you have a $136 million cap, which not all these leagues use that, but most of them use a little bit more than the actual NBA soft cap. Um, you can you can fit that in because by the time you get to the back end of the draft, there are no money players left. Everyone, that has all been cleared out. You're dealing with guys who are on minimum contracts and you're filling in the back end of your roster with that. So the strategy changes dramatically depending on your league format. And, and I think that's both fantasy basketball's greatest strength and its greatest weakness. It's why the people who get into it love it because you can find a format that, make, that works in your brain, that makes you excited about playing fantasy basketball and that interests you. And also so it makes it really difficult to get newcomers to be able to get involved with it because they have to figure out a format that is often very different from what they've seen in fantasy football. And you can do fantasy basketball in a fantasy football format, but it's just honestly not quite as fun. And adding these extra layers and complexities is really what makes it great and makes it a game that goes from checkers to chess. Um, and it's why I love it personally and why I love these salary leagues, because that other dimension of having to know the NBA, know salary structures, and to be able to know player salaries, uh, it really adds quite a bit. And what I would recommend for leagues that are smaller, 10 and 12 real salary leagues, you almost have to bring the cap up higher because no fantasy basketball league should not have Anthony Davis be on a roster. You know, it just takes some of the fun out of it to see that on the waiver wire, but it probably makes sense most of the time, especially in a points format. I I don't know if he's rosterable if you are trying to build a winning roster because what you're really trying to do is maximize your points at each starting slot. And you can't really do that when you start adding $40 million salaries that take up almost a third of your salary cap for one slot when you're trying to play so many guys every single night. So my my suggestion would be the smaller your league is, the more you want to bump up that cap. If you are at a 30-team league, then it makes perfect sense to be able to have the full salary cap that the NBA has, even the luxury tax threshold at $136 million because that's what the NBA plays with with 30 different teams in that player pool. And the smaller your league gets, bump it up a little bit more, even if that seems a little out of touch with reality because it gets those really good fantasy players that we want to have on our teams back into the pool and making sense to be on rosters. I actually have a little bit of cap remaining and I have Bradley Beal. So if I really wanted to, I could switch out him for Anthony Davis. He will not be on the waiver wire for long because he's only making $35 million. 
Um, so I, while he wasn't drafted, I, I predict after that, that first night performance, he, he will be picked up very soon. Um, a lot of times injuries will happen and people will kind of like wholesale change their team on the fly because there's so many big names on the waiver wire. Um, but yeah, the way we, the way we originally did it. And I think we kind of stuck to our guns on this was we didn't want to bench. We didn't want people setting lineups because they had to deal with the, their cap. And we wanted to simulate it as closely to fantasy football to get people interested in it. So we went with a points league instead of a categories league. Um, and we just tried to make it as like user-friendly and easy as possible so that you could just like worry about the the numbers. And then when you turn on ESPN and you see that Malcolm Brogdon got a two year, $45 million contract, you would just know like, Oh, the cap's one thirty six, And like, Oh, okay. That's pretty good value. Like you would just like know so that when you're, you know, reading about the NBA and you're reading about like what's going on in the league and, and stuff, it, it kind of just makes it better that you're just like more knowledgeable about like these numbers, um, which I find is, is actually really refreshing. It's really nice. Is, that's that's what's great about this format is that this is the language that we speak in as NBA fans. We're always talking and thinking about these contracts. What what deals could work in a trade, you know, under the cap? How you could have matching salary for a trade? So this is already the language of the league far more than it is in football, hockey, baseball. You know, we're not thinking about that the same way. But in the NBA, you know, the transactions are king. I mean, people are sometimes more tuned in around NBA free agency and the draft and and the tra- you know the big trades. Of the off season than they are tuned in for the regular season. That's and me. I'm guilty. Yeah, I mean, it, because it is really exciting, and it's always going the whole year round. We're thinking about those things. Where are the star players going to be going next? What's going to be the next super team? And that's why this real salary format is so great because you get to take all that knowledge and enhance that knowledge that you already have as an NBA fan and actually put it to use. Uh, and I love it because you you are actually getting to apply all of that stuff that you know and love from following the NBA day to day. I'm not going to lie, being a, a Knicks fan for most of my life, um, yeah, I was much more interested in in the transactions and the offseason of other teams than I was in my team because once we blew it, it was like, all right, I'm not going to bother paying attention uh, up until this year and last year. But then again, even that Evan Fournier deal, that like that hurt. I was just like, really? And then he shows out and I was like, ah, was I wrong? Like, I don't want to get into my Knicks fandom. Well, what team do you root for? So I'm a lifelong Detroit Pistons fan, which went very wow. well uh, through the early portion of my life. Um, you know, I've, I've watched three different titles uh, in my lifetime, but uh, in the last decade has been quite a bit of pain. But hey, you know, we, we won the lottery for the very first time uh, this year and got the number one pick. Uh, still haven't seen him yet, but uh, at least in a regular season game, but I'm excited. He's number nine on this ADP list. He's the the first rookie off the board, I think, in a lot of drafts. Uh yeah, I, I really hope that the rumblings of him like not getting along with the coach Dwayne Casey um, and the front office or whatever. I think I hope that's all BS. Like I hope he shows up and shows out and uh, and delivers because no one wants unhappy players. No one wants injured players. Everyone wants everyone to be on the floor and do their best so that we can actually like have fun debates about like who's gonna be, who's gonna win, who's gonna be better as opposed to. They only won because that guy missed games or that guy was out and then they steamrolled them through the playoffs. And that's no fun. 
Totally agree. And I, I think Kate's going to be just fine. A lot of that uh, that internet rumbling that you've heard about him being disgruntled was actually started by like one of those fake Bleacher Report accounts. And then it kind of just got, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit of a life of its own. Um, they are babying him with his current ankle injury, but there's good reason to believe that he'll be back um, in the next probably week or so. Okay, good. Uh, I usually just stick to Shams and Woj, but there's a lot of fake Woj and Shams Twitter accounts that catch people every once in a while, which is quite funny. Um, all right, I'm just going to pull out some random names from this ADP list, and then uh, I will let you uh, discuss any sort of uh, reactions you had to, to the, most of the teams have played. I think the Heat are playing their first game tonight. The Hawks, I think, are also playing their first game tonight. They didn't go yesterday, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, just making sure. Because I have Bam and Tyler Hero, and I was thinking about picking up Kevin Herter. Um, but anyways, I feel so vindicated that Alperin Sangoon is on this list above Mikhail Bridges, Josh Gideon, and R.J. Barrett, and Colin Sexton, and, and all these other dudes, because I took him super late in my draft, and I was so happy he did well in his first game. I am an Alperin Sangoon uh, lifer. I'm on the bandwagon. I'm, on, I'm buying a big condo on the island on Sangoon Island. Jared, I have to tell you, um, you you have uh, a fellow member of the Alperin Shangoon yes. fan club on the line. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I created my own rookie rankings back in the spring, you know, like very early. We we're talking, you know, e- extremely early and, uh, you know, before the playoffs had ended by far, um, you know, getting into where these players should be drafted in rookie drafts, which is what you have in the offseason in dynasty leagues. And uh, early on, after kind of digging in on the stats, analyzing these rookies, uh, <laughs> I found Elper and Shangoon and saw what he had done in the Turkish league and saw his age and started, you know, looking at scouting reports. And I put him at number five in the rookie class um, in my initial rankings. And that got a lot of pushback from people who had no idea who this guy was. He was only at that point starting to surface like late first round in mock drafts. Then he started creeping into the late lottery. Then there started to be some of the big names in draft media, putting him in their top tens. And it got a lot of it got a lot of attention. People were kind of you know skeptical, but every moment that we have seen this kid from Vegas Summer League into the preseason and now in his first game, how he played in in the Rockets opener, there it is only a matter of time until he is starting and playing huge minutes. And this is a really special prospect. I mean, the passing for a big man, he makes a pass or two every single game that kind of makes your jaw drop. Um, he's already got a pretty refined post game, and I think that. You know, at least from what it looks like, he's going to be able to extend his game out to the three-point line as in a matter of time as well because he has good touch. Um, and on top of that, he just racks up defensive stats as well, which you wouldn't think because he's not the most athletic guy, but he's so intelligent on the court that he seems to get himself in the right place and he operates well as a help, help defender in passing lanes. I'm super excited. I think this kid's going to be a star. Um, and the fantasy community has kind of rallied around that of late, whether it's in season-long leagues or in dynasty leagues. Shingun is going extremely high. Um, and I think that it's a smart choice because he's going to be a very special player. I've, I was fist pumping that entire time. I'm so happy. Um, my my three kind of every year in, in salary leagues, you have to take random stabs at rookies. Like you just have to just close your eyes and just hope for the best. And I, I missed out on Halliburton. Um, my Knicks missed out on Halliburton. I told them on Twitter to take him and they didn't listen. It took Obi Toppin, um, you know, a position we had plenty of, but I took stabs at Jalen Green, Alperin, my large adult son, and Davian Mitchell. And Davian Mitchell ended up getting dropped after the very first game. And I picked up Desmond Bain, who's starting in Memphis. 
because uh, he was half the salary and like eight times uh, the performer uh, fantasy wise. So sometimes you just got to do it. You just got to just got to take some random stabs at rookies and hope for the best and uh, hope that uh, some second and third year players like, uh, you know, become most improved. You're really targeting most improved kind of players because um, a lot of times that's how you win leagues. You're like, oh, I'll take Jordan Poole. And then Jordan Poole has a great game. And you go, oh, wow, I'm a genius. And then you take Killian Hayes and you're like, what What was going on with Killian Hayes? Actually, what is going on with Killian Hayes? Yeah, so this has actually been something that's it's been a lot of discussion after a terrible uh, first game performance. I mean, Hayes just came back from a concussion. I don't know if that affected his first game. Uh, but we saw him come back from injury late last year and actually put together a pretty good string of games. Um, you know, it was He played around 20 games near the end of the year after coming back from injury. Uh, so I don't think what we saw last night from Hayes is representative of who he's going to be as a player. But I do think people need to lower their expectation uh, from where it was a year ago, when, uh, around a year ago when he got drafted i think a lot of people thought you know wide open opportunity in detroit he's going to be the point guard of the future he's going to be the, you know eventually the the primary offensive initiator and creator i don't think that's likely to be the outcome with killian hayes especially now that kate cunningham is on this team i think if killian hayes is part of the detroit pistons long-term plan he's going to be a secondary creator um he's going to need to get better as a, ca- a catch and shoot three-point shooter and he's going to need to be a really strong defensive player which i think he, he can be with his frame and his length um so ultimately i'm not as high on killian hayes as i probably was you know a, when he got drafted by the pistons uh but i also don't think that people need to be panicking entirely because he's going to have a ton of opportunity in Detroit and he is a hardworking kid who I think is going to develop into a good real life player and a solid fantasy player as well. You want to hear some breaking news from Woj? I would love to. Live on the air. Daryl Morey in a Philadelphia radio interview, this is three minutes ago, confirming, uh, he, he he said a quote which confirms a lot of people's wide beliefs. He will not be pressured into trading Ben Simmons. Quote, people should buckle in. This is going to be a long time. I will wow. I will never, never expect Daryl Morey to take 60 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar for a star player. That's just not the way that Daryl Morey operates. This will t- this will be a contest of wills, and I think especially because Ben Simmons already crumbled and showed up to the Sixers facility, uh, Daryl Morey and the Sixers have every reason to believe that they can just kind of wait this out and see what happens. Uh, and I, I do not anticipate a deal anytime soon there. You saw today that there were reports that Simmons is you know, reporting back tightness. He didn't actually participate in individual drills today. Uh, so expect that this is going to get uglier as it goes on. And and I, I feel for the Sixers fans because honestly, no no franchise has dealt with more weird drama than that that franchise has in recent years. Um, yeah. And this is this is only going to get stranger as it goes on. And yeah, a half hour ago, while we were recording, I believe, uh, Woj tweeted, all-star guard Ben Simmons is expected to come in early to the Sixers shoot-around on Friday morning to discuss his playing status with organizational leadership. Sixers play the Nets on ESPN, and the team is still hopeful that Simmons will participate. No, he will not. He will say his back hurts. I had that last part. Yeah, I, I, I do not anticipate that we're going to see Simmons in a Sixers uniform ever again, uh, mostly I because agree. I don't think anyone could ever recover what uh, a Philadelphia crowd would do to them in that situation. He, I don't think that would be advisable for anyone to go in front of that many Philly fans. 
I, I just think this situation is so bad and so toxic and it's just, it is like, it is like as if the James Harden scenario had just stretched out like so far, like he's already allegedly been to a strip club already, Ben Simmons. I don't know why they just don't go to Sacramento and say, give us healed who you don't want to start. Give us Bagley. You don't want to start and throw in either Mitchell or Halliburton. Let's just end it. I think the issue for Maury is that he, he knows that Ben Simmons is a player who should command a good return, but I do not see a situation where Simmons trade value comes back up or there is enough leverage for the Sixers to be able to get the kind of return that Maury wants. I don't know what changes that, but we need to remember that weird things happen all the time in the NBA. The status quo of what teams need, where they're at, where they see their future, um, and what happens with injuries and other trades, you know, the league is going to be entirely different in a year from the where that where we know it right now. So maybe that opportunity will come for Daryl, but he seems to at least be taking the negotiation position that they're willing to just play without Ben and wait until the right deal comes. And they're going to wait and see if he's willing to be able to uh, miss out on another year of basketball. And this guy this is a guy who already missed his technically what would have been his first year, um, then ends up winning rookie of the year in his second year, but he's already missed a year of basketball. So to potentially miss another one um, is definitely a strange choice. And the situation keeps getting stranger. It is so wild. And I, I just want to rub it in a little because I'm a Knicks fan and I have to hate Philly teams. CJ McCollum put up 34 points, six rebounds, five assists, three steals, and a block. I just want to just throw that out there. Just, just let everyone know. CJ McCollum doing pretty well right now. Oh, well. Malcolm Brogdon had a good game, too. You could have gotten him. But I don't know if we're going to be sitting around coming up with fake trades for uh, Ben Simmons. It doesn't seem like anyone um, or any any scenario that people offer as being realistic with the, the Timberwolves or the Spurs or the Pacers or whoever. It just doesn't seem like they're interested. Like, they really do think he's, like, the bee's knees and they want all these first and, and all these star players or whatever. And it's just, like, that is so not ever going to happen that, like, uh, it makes my head spin. Um, is there any other player, any other takeaway from the first set of games, anything that we'd like to discuss or say publicly on air, maybe just dis- discouraging Ben Simmons like I did last episode? I, the number one thing that I want to say to people, especially from a fantasy basketball perspective, is please try not to overreact to these early games. Go back and look at last year's early games to remind yourself about some of the things that happened in small sample sizes, because you will immediately have a moment of reflection where you maybe take some guys off of the waiver wire that you are about to bid a bunch of your money on or use your top waiver priority on because it's not going to continue that players, especially when they shoot crazy percentages in a game, that's not going to continue. That's not sustainable. Uh, so this this is uh, a, a word of caution rather than hyping up some of these early performances. But I've seen so many people drop players that end up having great seasons because they chase some waiver wire wonder who has a great opening game, and then they regret it for the rest of the season. So take a deep breath. Don't completely throw out your priors the moment you see someone playing well. Uh, but there is a difference when you see you know, the opportunity to be able to get some upside, to be able to drop guys on the back end of your roster. And I think that's the real difference here. You know, someone like Chris Duarte, who came out so strong yesterday oh, yeah. for the Pacers, 
He's going to have great opportunity early on because we don't know when T.J. Warren is coming back. We don't know exactly when Karis LeVert is com- coming back. And Duarte is a 24-year-old rookie who had an incredible stat set at Oregon. It is extremely fantasy-friendly. And we didn't really even see the defensive stats yesterday. And those are something that he's shown already in NBA action before this. So I don't think he's going to shoot as hot as he did in that opener. But I do think Duarte is a great early ad. And you want to be able to get in on the ground floor on that. Look at the guy that you drafted last. You know, you were already probably going to be dropping that player. Make plays to be able to go get some of these upside players, younger players who are in bigger roles and have bigger opportunities than we expected during the preseason. And take a shot on them because you might catch lightning in a bottle for a few weeks. Yeah. Um, the first time people started to hear the name Devontae Graham, he was on your waiver wire, and that could have helped put you over the edge. Um, the year that Brandon Ingram broke out, I, I drafted him in a, in a salary cap league knowing I was like, this has to be the year for a breakout. And even the great Aaron Ruski did not predict that. That's the one time I could say I was smarter than him. And otherwise, I've been basically wrong. Um, LaMelo Ball had a really slow start. I had him and I was panicking. I was like, boy, oh boy, like LaMelo Ball might not be that great. And then continues to, and then he like figured it out and he was awesome. Um, so maybe me dropping Davian Mitchell for Desmond Bain will look bad. Right now, I'm looking pretty good. Um, but you're right. The last guy I drafted was Reed Hachimura and I ended up getting rid of him because he's not ready to play and he's not playing. And I was like, I, as much as I love Reed Hachimura, I'm sure I can find someone who has a really good start to the season. So, yeah, you never know. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a fine line between trying to you know grab an exciting player off of one performance and you know what what that can do to your roster if you're just dropping whoever had the worst game on your team trust your preseason evaluations if you drafted a guy in the the last round the second to last round you know your whole league didn't think they were that great and if they didn't put up a great performance early on just move on the point of those roster spots at the end of your roster in a redraft league is to turn through players until you find something that sticks and you're right you know the Devonte grams of the world do pop up early in the season and then they're never going to be on the waiver wire again because it's just going to keep going so take some chances with the back end of your roster right now try to grab those hot players and then see where it goes if it doesn't work out you know they're just as expendable as they were when they were on the waiver wire so move on onto the next thing matt lawson thank you so much for being on where can people find your work you can find me at NBA Dynasty ADP on Twitter. You'll find in my profile a link to all my different rankings and data sets, all this wonderful stuff that we've been talking about today and more. Jared, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I will be a loyal listener for as long as you guys are doing this thing. I oh, really appreciate you. the information. Thank you, and thank you for having me on. The honor is mine. You can follow me on Twitter at Jared Russo. You can follow my co-host, who is currently not dealing with the IATSE strike uh, that that turned around so he'll be on more often uh, he's on Twitter at Jared Ross King um, follow Aaron Bruski and Dan Bespris and, and Hoopball and all the other contributors um, and and yeah uh, we will hopefully have you on back again Matt and uh, thanks for listening and we will you know be in your ears soon to come This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.